0: I think we disproportionately stop whites too much.
1: I taught those kids lessons on product development and marketing, and they taught me what it was like growing up and feeling targeted for your race.
2: I am proud to be gay.
0: I am proud to be a Republican.
1: You know, I went to a
2: tough school in Queens, and they used to beat up the little Jewish boys.
3: You know, I love having the support of real billionaires.
4: Four, three, two.
1: Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires. Sean P. McCarthy here, joined by my friends... Yogi Poliwal, Andy Palmer. Uh, Steve Jeffries is uh, absent this week, so we apologize in advance for the episode we will release next week, correcting all of the errors we make, but uh, we are very happy to be uh, doing this uh, and with you here in this December, and we have a very special topic, is uh, Mr. Michael Milken.
0: Uh, I would also like to say hello to all of our new followers uh, who are here because I told a guy that he was lying about his income to bully someone on Twitter. Uh, And then he doubled down on it and then I tripled down on it. Triple down, eh? Yeah, and then I dragged the podcast into it because I thought it
1: would be funny. Yeah, you told a guy who was lying on uh, about his income, and that was the first hour of the Twitter <laughs> fight, <laughs> and then that extended into hour eight, in which it seems to have morphed into something else.
0: Well, uh, uh, eventually in the Twitter fight, it became him musing on white guy psychology based on every tweet I made, mm-hmm. and so I'd, I actually felt honored to be like the director of what constitutes white guy psychology, cishat white dude psychology.
1: Well, Andy, Yogi and I have a surprise for you. That's right. On Skype right now uh-huh. is Disco Socialist. <laughs> um, but yes, no, I, I, Andy got in a big uh, thing. and uh, But we are very happy to be joined uh, by uh, a man who has been called... An Aggro Unfunny Asshole by Twitter.com, <laughs> who has a podcast that sounds like a great concept if it weren't hosted by an Aggro Unfunny Asshole.
4: Uh, to, to quote Kit Mylar, wow, this sounds right up my alley, but you seem like an Aggro Unfunny Dick, so I'll pass.
1: Oh, I got the quote wrong. Yeah,
4: but then again, it's easy to get things wrong when you're part of the Grubstakers crew.
0: I mean, what's sad is that you guys didn't catch on that I'm an agro Unfunny Dick this whole time. Oh, we caught on, but yeah. you know, someone's got to do the drops. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, But we are uh, very happy you're joining us, (laughs) especially if you're a new listener. It's
0: indispensable to have someone who does that shit. (laughs) Yes, yes, indispensable. You took the word right out of my
2: mouth.
1: (laughs) Oh, I forgot. I was gone last week. I listened to the episode you guys did on um, uh, um, Vince McMahon. It was interesting. And uh, uh, so you guys were talking about how Vince McMahon made all of his employees take steroids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, very illegal and dangerous. My wife told me about there was a Brazilian comedy show... And the gag is that they would get hot women like models right. to take steroids so that they would become really swole and buff. Uh, really? And that was like funny. And then they had to stop doing it because one of them got cancer. Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, you know, they have a much more pure sense of humor down there <laughs> than we do.
4: The only reason they had to stop was because the, it was unethical. Because the joke
1: got too funny. <laughs> when somebody got cancer, I mean, it was just you couldn't stop laughing.
4: Wait, would they do challenges once they've gotten roided up? Or what
1: was the... I will say, that is
0: one hell of a closer. (laughs) (laughs) On our season finale.
1: (laughs) Well, like, yeah, like, it's because she watches the reality show. It was like a Brazilian big brother where they're, like, in a ranch or Mm -hmm, something. mm -hmm. And one of the contestants on it was, like, a woman who had, like, been on this comedy show and got steroided out.
4: <laughs> I love that and, it's
1: a comedy show. Yeah. I love that
4: that's the notion. What are we going to do for humor here? How about steroids and models?
1: Yeah, well, like what, did they also do bits? You know, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't really watch. I do think they were doing like some sort of feats of strength or something. But, we'll I mean prop they, comedy? They did bits on the show in addition to just having the steroided out women, but I don't know if they yeah, were doing like... Yeah, because that
0: seems like a flimsy premise to hang a whole show who's on. Who's on first? I don't know. Yeah. Last Comic Standing with steroids
4: might be a better show
1: they, they do who's on first but the woman is like so aggressive because of the steroids <laughs> she just crushes his skull <laughs> <laughs> I am telling you the man's name is who <laughs> seems like a great place for an aggro unfunny dick <laughs> um, but moving along so this week's topic is, is Michael Milken and you might have, like, heard of, of Michael Milken vaguely from, you know, Junk Bonds in the 80s, but uh, I think he's very important for a, a long- Did you lose money in the 80s?
0: Greed is right. People who lost money in the 80s remember this.
1: <laughs> Greed works. He's very important for a variety of reasons. The couple chief ones among them is the fact that, like, He's still a billionaire. Forbes today estimates mm-hmm. him at about 3.7 billion net worth, and it should be noted that this was entirely the result of a criminal conspiracy and scheme that defrauded you know billions of dollars both out of public money and uh, investors, uh, which which we'll get to. Yeah, one thing you learned by Milken is he really
4: uh, capitalized on the fundamental aspect of crime, which is steal more than you'll be fined. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, he like he was smart in that he got to the table, the bargaining table with the government right when they were like, OK, so we're going to do like a thorough audit of your assets. <laughs> right, right. He's like, no, yeah, I'll pay six hundred million. Yeah, that sounds fair. Yeah. Um, but so, yes, uh, that's,
0: that's the mafia's main problem is they don't make enough money and they kill too many people.
1: Well, I mean, it's like, hey, if they made
0: more money and killed less people. They would get away with it every time. I think
1: so. Yeah, definitely but so I read this book called a uh, den of thieves is written by James B. Stewart is a wall street journal reporter, I believe former. Uh, but, uh, it, it's a fascinating book. I very much recommend it, especially if you want to understand, you know, wall street in the eighties. And, uh, the interesting thing is, so *Den of Thieves* was written in 1991. It was a national bestseller, and the thing you can't help but realize going through it is everyone who's either a criminal or just a viciously corrupt asshole in *Den of Thieves* has gone on to like much bigger and better and more successful things from 1991. Well. And it's just weird because it's like it's not like it's an obscure book. This was the best-selling right, book right. in America, and then all of these people are like, "Yeah." You know, so like just as a couple examples, uh, David Solomon is the current Goldman Sachs CEO, the incoming one. David Solomon is it was uh, we'll get to. He's involved in a, uh, a a fraud with Milken, where Milken was like. They were doing what was called parking, where to create phony losses for tax purposes, they would transfer assets to other people's books, but they both knew that they belonged to the other person, so they would show fake losses, and then they would report these losses to the IRS, and then after tax season, they would just pass it back. So, David Solomon, uh, I believe he didn't pay taxes on like $800,000 worth of income in 1985 dollars. Uh, Because of this scheme with Milken and uh, they were doing that they were also kind of like defrauding investors within the fund that Milken Milken put him in charge in in charge of and the only reason David Solomon didn't go to prison is because he ratted on Milken (laughs) (laughs) and this is something you will find in zero profiles of the new CEO of Goldman Sachs Um, one thing that did happen though is he he did
4: threaten to uh, cut a baby in half (laughs) Uh,
1: like
0: a magic trick.
4: No, no, to settle an argument, Andy.
1: It's too bad that guy <laughs> won't listen to the podcast so he can't learn who the real aggro unfunny dick is. <laughs> 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 um, Me. <laughs> so, and just like a, quickly, a couple other characters in the story who are doing better. Uh, Carl Icon is involved in uh, some milk and insider trades. He's ultimately not charged, but he is like a lot of suspicion is... Uh, Put on him as this book. We've, we've done an episode about Icon. Uh, Henry Kravis is another uh, leverage buyout guy from KKR, billionaire, future episode. Alan Dershowitz, the lawyer, would go on to represent Milken. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, famous for always respecting. Oh, yeah,
0: famous aviator. <laughs> <laughs> Owns the sky, Dershowitz. <laughs> uh, With his uh, wingman, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're
1: tight. Yeah. Yes. He he does. Uh,
0: uh, he was on an airplane where Jeffrey Epstein would rape women, and uh, Alan Dershowitz was on the flight logs as also being on that airplane, and it's very likely that Alan Dershowitz raped women with Jeffrey Epstein on that airplane. That's allegedly what we're referring to allegedly. allegedly.
1: You're just making Yogi bleep things in post. Like, <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna do some tortured metaphor about him being an aviator with storks and babies, but you know, <laughs> I think you really kind of got what we were getting eh, at there. robert to care that one. Yeah. But uh, so Alan Dershowitz would come on his legal team. Uh, come on, his, his legal team was thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, and then uh, now leader of the Democrats Chuck Schumer was actually a congressman from New York at the time, 1986, who uh, savaged the SEC for being too vicious to Michael Milken. <laughs> Uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, was, um, well, so, and then uh, uh, Leon Black was uh, another Drexel guy. Drexel was uh, Milken's firm, we'll get to, but he's also now a billionaire. Uh, He was really given his start by this fraudulent empire, and now he's a billionaire. And then lastly, um, Rudy Giuliani was the uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. He ultimately was the guy who prosecuted on Milken, but basically what that was is his underlings put the evidence together and he signed off on it. But interestingly enough, Milken is in the news again because now he is lobbying President Trump for a pardon. And I think it's almost guaranteed unless Trump like strokes out or like it, his last day in office gets distracted, like yelling at some <laughs> retweeting some fucking uh, uh, 1488 Twitter account. <laughs> For like all of the days before he's legally no longer president anymore and uh, forgets to pardon Michael Milken. I think it's almost certain that he will pardon Michael Milken because, fascinatingly enough, Rudy Giuliani is uh, lobbying to get Michael Milken pardoned. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. You know, what happens when you go into private practice or whatever. But it is just something where Michael Milken has spent millions, millions and millions of both his former firm and his own money creating an incredible PR apparatus uh, to the point where you can't really, even if you listen to like a Bloomberg report today, like I did a couple for research for this episode, they're always talking about his like charitable bullshit and right. his health stuff. And I think I even heard somebody on, on Bloomberg say Michael Milken was a victim of the uh, uh, culture of envy. <laughs> uh, you know that famous culture of envy in 1989? (laughs) Right, right. When he was indicted. Um, But so, you know, and Milken, again, pled guilty to six felonies, but all his defenders will be like, oh, he just did that to make the government go away. You know, they were going to ruin him. But the reality is that Milken engaged in an extremely criminal scheme. Uh, Ben Stein, we'll get to in a second, estimate that Milken stole more than 5 or $6 billion. And, of course, he would pay about $1.1 in fines and do about two years in prison. So, ultimately, you know, he got punished, which is the difference from the 2008 financial crisis. But mm-hmm. he's still a billionaire. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Five to six billion, mm-hmm. and like, and he's, he's It's like that's so much money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and so like, I guess we'll kind of get into the details of, of how he did this. But he is kind of pretty much tied up with the what's called the savings and loans crisis in the 1980s. Maybe we'll do like a more in-depth episode on it later but the, the the long and short is um there were like i believe 55 again this is ben stein's estimate 55 milk uh, milk and back savings and loans mm-hmm. that uh went into default savings and loans were basically just regular depository things that they were like banks they would make home loans and these kinds of things right and uh because of deregulation they were able to buy these milk and junk bonds and so like charles keating uh, famous for bribing john mccain uh he was a a a guy who bought the lincoln savings and loan association it was again a savings and loan in 1984 for 51 million entirely financed by michael milken so of course when you finance the guy suddenly you have a captive client because milken puts him in business and he says okay you're gonna buy my junk bonds now and he has an entire network of savings and loans such as uh, lincoln uh and uh, i believe columbia and a few others uh, these savings and loans would buy up his junk products, so he was able to essentially manipulate the market, where he would just roll it over forever because he could sell it to all of these different captive clients. And uh, it, it's it's uh, Ben Stein again. So Ben Stein is a, a former Nixon speechwriter and just a rabid free market re- Republican.
0: I used to protect my money. $5,000. I'll put it up, but I won't give it up without a fight. But if you're smart enough, quick enough, and lucky enough, you can win Ben Stein's
1: Win Ben Stein's money by getting him to invest in junk bonds, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, it is fascinating to me, like just learning this, uh, doing the research. Is so Ben Stein again, Reagan, spe- uh, Nixon speechwriter, Nixon apologist, rabid free market, Milton Friedman guy, guy who so- said Bueller, <laughs> yes, Bueller, <laughs> the guy who is a uh, uh, very boring to uh, Matthew Broderick, so boring that he put Matthew Broderick asleep at the wheel of his car in Ireland, <laughs> where he murdered that woman. <laughs> But uh, Clear-eyed spokesman, Ben Stein. It doesn't count if you hit an Irish person. <laughs> um, but so, you know, so like I saw a video on YouTube of, of, of Ben Stein talking about Michael Milken, and your kind of like stereotype reaction is like, oh, of course, he's going to defend, you know, free market government overreach. Of course. But surprisingly enough, Ben Stein wrote probably the most uh, vicious takedown of Milken. Yeah. Oh. Um, yeah uh, so the book is called let me see if i have it here a license to steal he writes this book in 1992 and uh, ben stein's contention i think very convincingly is that in the 1980s uh, michael milken ran a ponzi scheme
0: was this before or after he met Kimmel? <laughs> <laughs> it was the
1: same night <laughs> but so um license to steal Good yeah, title yeah and uh and it was just kind of like surprising to me that this guy probably wrote the most vicious anti-Michael Milken book to the point where Michael Milken's people apparently like started putting it in the press that Ben Stein's wife was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? And they, yeah, and they they got it um, that uh, Ben Stein he wrote this article about how George H. W. Bush shouldn't take some sort of sleep medicine uh-huh. because he said it fucked with him. So Milken's people started spreading that Ben Stein was a drug addict, <laughs> <laughs> and then one of uh, like one of Milken's lawyers said on like some. Show that, like, oh, you shouldn't listen to Ben Stein's book because he's a drug addict. (laughs) Paraphrasing, of course, but you know, so um, I love how Milken's people were
0: like, let's say his wife's a lesbian, (laughs) that'll really the people (laughs) on our side. You know, counterpoint Ben Mm. Stein was in Hollywood in the 80s.
1: (laughs) I I guess uh, I'm just gonna quote from Ben Stein here uh, Do the voice, (laughs) that's weird. Oh, Bueller, don't do the voice. I love how any time uh, you guys ask me to do the voice, I know I can just feel our listeners getting disappointed <laughs> as I fail to do the voice. But so Ben Stein says, uh, uh, overfunding uncritically allowed by markets and regulators was very largely uh, a Ponzi scheme in which earlier borrowers and lenders were kept afloat by later borrowers and lenders. It couldn't go on forever, but what well... borrowers and lenders. It couldn't go on forever, but while it lasted, it was a miraculously simple way for Milken to pull buyers more or less out of thin air and thus create a market for his junk. The scam worked so well that there were periods when Milken could create entities with no operating financial assets to speak of and raise hundreds of millions of dollars for them uh, to be used solely to buy junk bonds. And this is where, uh, again, we'll kind of get into this a little bit more, but essentially, as we were mentioning he was able to create these captive institutions where he would put people in business and give them the startup capital, and in exchange, it's like, okay, you're buying my next issue of junk bonds. Right. And uh, he would also even go so far as to straight up bribe fund managers where he would give them, say, warrants for stock, and you know that's your reward, so now you you're running your corporation, I'm giving you a bribe, but you use your corporation to buy my junk bonds. And uh, there were a ton of different schemes, but the, the long and short is I think Milken was running a Ponzi scheme throughout the 1980s.
4: Well, at parties, he'd introduce himself and he'd be like, who am I?
1: Bond. <laughs> Junk Bond. Bond. <laughs> But uh, I guess we should go through um, uh, in a chronological fashion of uh, uh, Michael Milken's life, though I did want to say one other thing before we get into that is uh, Michael Milken from the time the government indicted him or uh, from the time the government announced the investigation in 1986 Mm -hmm. that it was heavily suspected he'd be implicated in. He hired a, a, a very sophisticated public relations machine that his, uh, again, then firm Drexel was spending millions of dollars a month to keep these PR people on uh, duty. And uh, so that echoes through today, because if you go to the Forbes website and you read um, the uh, two little factoids they have about Michael Milken, right. I'm just going to read one of them to you now <clears throat> from Forbes. Milken switched majors at UC UC Berkeley from math and science to business after the 1965 Watts riots in Los Angeles, determined to democratize capital access. (laughs) So Forbes, or Milken's PR machine, would like you to believe that he switched to a finance major because he read about the Watts riots and wanted to spread the wealth to the African American community.
4: (laughs) He just, he was so saddened by the lack of capital of the urban communities that he thought maybe I should have that capital that they don't have.
1: But that's just like on the Forbes website, printed officially, and it is straight... Milk and PR bullshit. And we know it's bullshit because, like, first of all, the book, Denna Thieves, talks very clearly about how he was Sean like. Sean is emphatically poking his finger at the book that is on the table. Well, the book in owes front of money. him Yeah. Uh, the book, Denna Thieves, talks about how he was like at UC Berkeley at, again, the 60s. I believe he graduated 68, a very political time at UC Berkeley. UC. He was, uh, he was <laughs> very apolitical he didn't smoke marijuana or do lsd so we know he was not a leftist in college (laughs) and um you know so he was like very apolitical and then what happens is in the book when he hires this pr firm they start with this that that
0: sounds like someone who does not want to get laid (laughs) if you're at berkeley in the late 60s and you're apolitical. You're like the only person not having sex at Berkeley.
1: I believe he, yeah, he married his high school sweetheart. Yep. So he was oh. like, oh, I got this locked down. Time to be a workaholic nerd.
4: He also went bald in his teenage years. Right. Oh. So, I mean, imagine going bald before you're 20. Explains his now. lack
1: of empathy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I will punish the world for what has been done to my head. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know what—not in a fun way, like Larry yeah. David.
4: His like younger brother has like the best head of hair. It's, <laughs> it's very funny. Whatever stress his older brother took on, oh boy, that younger brother gets to just live scot free. <laughs>
1: Oh, yeah, I guess we should mention in this episode, we might even just throw both of them in the title, but his younger brother, Lowell Milken, is a billionaire. He's yeah. worth about $1 billion as well. And the only remarkable thing about Lowell Milken is he got a law degree. I believe it was one of the universities of California, but he got a law degree. When did you and get it? So uh, Michael Milken brings him in as a lawyer. He brings Lowell in, and kind of like his, his hatchet man to like do unpleasant tasks, which we'll get to in a second. But the only really remarkable thing about Lowell Milken is that in exchange for Michael Milken's guilty plea— he demands that the government immunize his brother. So his brother basically gets to run the empire and keep all the assets and these kinds of things while Milken does his two years in, you know, white-collar prison. Bros before hoes. Yeah. But so, yes, that's basically how his brother became a billionaire, was uh, being related to the guy who thought of a giant (laughs) Ponzi scheme in the 1980s. Yeah. You know, uh, hard work and merit, as I believe they call it. (laughs) There's a reason he's got a full head of hair. This dress wasn't his to have.
0: But, um, or he bought new hair. But so before As people I, <laughs> with his money or want to do well. So one of the things yeah.
4: is that uh, uh, Milken uh, Michael, like he was sentenced to prison, and at that time he wore a toupee. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the uh, younger photos of him have him with a full head of hair. Mm-hmm. But then there was articles written that said that uh, the court system won't let him take his wig <laughs> <laughs> yes. to he jail. Had, he had to wear like a
1: baseball cap, right? In right? Prison. Right?
4: <laughs> Unless it was like medically required, he wear a wig. So like. So now he just now he's bald. Mm-hmm. Once court documents say that you can't have your fake hair, you accept that you don't have hair. Fucking nerd! If he can't like pull off being bald, mm, I don't know, man. This guy's head's huge. Yeah, he's got like a seven head.
1: But so just before I lose this, the. They were mentioning, you know, like the Watts riots and democratizing access to capital. So this was entirely a strategy thought up by his PR firm, because what happens is when the government starts their case in 1986, they start thinking about the demographics of a New York jury Mm -hmm. and realize it will likely include several African-Americans. So he begins a serious uh, black community outreach where he starts, like, giving all this money to the Congressional Black Caucus, and um, uh, he starts doing all these photo ops with, like, you know, minority children and stuff. Tangent. I get it now. This guy's a fucking guy goblin <laughs> <laughs> just Go did an image search And uh oh and then the the best one is he takes I believe 1700 disadvantaged children to a baseball game at uh, at the mets stadium <laughs> Andy just showed us a photo of him yeah. meeting with Barack Obama oh, yeah.
4: <laughs> Look up his brother now Andy Yes l-o-w-e-l-l
1: But so it's like entirely like this this minority outreach thing was entirely invented by his PR thing. And then the most telling, one of the, one of the most telling anecdotes in the book is his PR people shortly after they hire him, they sit him down and they ask him to like list all of the good significant things that he's done in his life and he stops at college (laughs) so they have to be like no you were creating jobs and creative destruction and all of this stuff is just complete PR bullshit that they invented but he spent so many millions over the decades that it's like this is almost reflexive if you listen to Bloomberg or Forbes you will just hear this propaganda Mm -hmm. that Milken like created all this value and made some minor mistake and then the government came down card because they were jealous of his right, success right, right. when in reality he stole billions of dollars through a ponzi scheme
4: yeah a lot of uh, Milken defenders will say like oh you know other people would do this and get a slap on the wrist but they wanted to make an example oh, out yes. of Milken."
0: his brother totally has plugs or a wig there's <laughs> his hair is inhuman it's too good right it's not that it's too good it just
4: well it's it's comparatively to michael that guy's got a great head of hair palmer admit it but it's unnatural it's it's a thick rug, it, it, it's a rug, <laughs> yeah. It is a thick rug. It is. Sean, what's your take on his brother's hair?
1: He probably has, his little brother has to like make his hair look worse just because Milk and his, Michael's the one who went to prison, <laughs> right, right? Right. So you, you can't be having like a better head of no, hair no, than can't. the brother who went <laughs> to jail for you.
0: Like it, it, you remember the the mummy when there was that giant sandstorm that was yeah, back? yeah yeah. That's what it, the top of his head looks like. Is just like this insidious sandstorm just like bubbling up on top know, of his I don't know. I think he
4: looks because his old, Michael Milken is 72 now, and his younger brother's 70, I think. For
1: 70, he looks pretty good. Mm. Would you go to jail two years, white collar, for your brother? For billions? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess to protect my like $5 billion yeah. fucking net worth. It,
4: it, like on like a like a heart to heart, no money on the line. Like still, I love my f- brother, yes. But at the same time, if billions of dollars are on the line and I get four times the amount my brother gets and he gets one billion, yeah, I'll do two years in prison for that.
0: <laughs> what you, Palmer? Um, it's not so- I want to go to jail for something cool. This is the least cool okay. thing to go. To jail All right, for. well, I'll keep your billions then.
1: <laughs> and don't worry; they'll uh, they'll send you there for the unsolved murder of Disco Socialist. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast will be introduced. Oh God, evidence. he's
0: going to tweet now. Like
1: they have been threatening me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, the last thing before we kind of get into the chronological biography of Michael Milken. Uh, so, since his you know release from prison, he's founded what's called the Milken Institute Think Tank, because oh. that's what you do there. And uh, the Milken Institute Think Tank has done such uh, uh, important work as a 2004 paper where they uh, uh, contested, they issued a study saying that uh, Charles Keating, the aforementioned uh, it, swindler... It looks was, like his
0: hair's running away from his forehead... <laughs>
1: A 2004 study from the Milken Institute uh, claimed that uh, regulators' actions were responsible for Charles Keating's business failings mm-hmm. and that they were overly um, uh, invasive and they destroyed his business and he was an honest man. And uh, again, from uh, Ben Stein of all people, he describes how uh, uh, Charles Keating, when the, the fucking walls were coming down and right. he couldn't get rid of the junk bonds, what they did is they would have, you know, old lady depositors coming in like it's a bank and they would actually set up cashier windows. Where they would try to sell these worthless fraudulent junk bonds really? to little old ladies who had no wow. idea what the fuck they were buying <laughs> And this is of course who uh michael Milken's institute puts out a paper saying yeah the government destroyed this honest businessman And of course doesn't reveal that michael Milken put him in business and you know right, made right. a lot of money off of him Stole what, a lot of money with him what a chooch
4: that's, yeah. I think, one thing that people in this country should learn is that, like, corruption, it might seem like it disappears, but oftentimes it just gets moved to a lower target. Like, uh, people look at, like, cigarettes in this country, like, being like, oh, less people smoke now. It's like, actually, cigarette companies have just been selling more cigarettes around the world than ever before. Mm-hmm. So, it uh, in this same vein, sure, the junk bonds weren't being sold to the masses, but these old little old ladies were getting fucked.
1: Yeah, and so, like, the other interesting thing, the milk... But it, yes. they
0: were supporting the first American to orbit the earth
1: (laughs) in their own little way. Sure. Certainly.
0: John Glenn got a little kickback. Uh,
1: So the, um, the other thing the Milken Institute does, the think tank, they produce what's called the annual Milken global conference in LA. And it's called by Bloomberg among others, quote Davos of the, of the West and so this what's Davos uh, you know the, the big meetup for like the billionaire uh, financier people in Switzerland oh gotcha annual where they like talk about income inequality it's, is a huge problem uh, it's the and uh, we're not gonna give our wealth away but...
0: economic and business suck and fuck party in Switzerland because Switzerland has a lot less regulations on uh-huh. how much you can suck and fuck
4: they got like what, like no condom rules for pornos like the U.S. got or something like that? It,
0: it's uh, it's much deeper than that. Oh, so it's like yeah. butt stuff rules. Um, yeah, yeah, it's butt stuff. But it's
4: not butt stuff rules,
0: and it's butt stuff rules. They have the best eyes wide shut parties. Oh.
1: Yeah. They have a lot of butt stuff rules in Malaysia. Oh, Wow. Well. <laughs> But, uh, so, this annual Milken conference, and again, this is like a multi-billion dollar Ponzi scheme swindler when we talk about Michael Milken. Of course, Andy just showed us a picture of him with Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. But just this year's conference was in April 2018. Steve Mnuchin was there, you know, feeding more speculation about Trump pardoning him. Uh, David Solomon, of course, was there. Tom Hilton Brady Sachs.
4: and Giselle Bundchen were there. Were they? Yeah, as well oh. as uh, Steve Ballmer and Sean Parker, Wilbur mm-hmm. Ross, Chuck Schumer, Kevin McCarthy Gee, of Home Alone fame. No, it's a Kevin McCarthy of uh, the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was a who's who of uh, these people suck. And uh, also, it was uh, hosted at the uh, Beverly Hilton. And uh, the this is from the article that was uh, in Bloomberg. Um, the venue is the he- Beverly Hilton, the glitzy mid-century hotel where the Golden Globes are awarded. And Milken he- held the original... Drexel conferences in tribute to the program's equality theme. This oh, year, God. the lobby will display the bronze fearless girl sculpture, fresh from her face-off with the Wall Street bull. Fresh,
1: fresh, fresh from her p- face-off with those little old ladies <laughs> in the fucking savings and loans deposit lobby.
4: Fresh from the New York tourists touching
1: those balls of the bull. Fresh from her face-off with uh, the life savings of guards at Michael Milken's company. Um, Speaking of
0: face-off, I'm looking at this picture of him next to Obama, and it looks like his face is about to fall off.
1: (laughs) He is not in a good way, as some might Uh, put it. But yes, of course, we we have to honor him and the Fearless Girl statue. Uh, Not like his company literally had a guy called the company Pimp who would procure prostitutes for prospective clients. (laughs) and uh, would actually uh, bring them to this annual conference for every year except for the last two years when the CEO of the company banned prostitutes. Aww. It's a very controversial decision.
0: I wonder if he got any for President Obama at the 20th Lake Tahoe Summit on the environment.
1: Um, but so I guess we can kind of go from there to, a, a again, mildly chronological accounting of Michael Milken's life because he's born 1946 in Sino, California, upper middle class family. Here's how bad he looks in this picture with Obama. Yes. Mm-hmm. Usually
0: someone, if someone is like so ugly in a picture, they make the person next to them look better. True. Sure. But this, he's making Obama look worse. Oh, like that's how unnerving his face is, is Whereas most holes move a mountain up, he brings everything down. Yeah, he brought the most handsome president. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, Taft is the most
2: handsome president, <laughs> guess me. I'm
1: imagining in the photo, Obama kind of like peels back his mask a little bit and, <laughs> and shows his, his lizard face. And then he says to Milken, like, you're making it a little too obvious, buddy.
4: <laughs> Milken just looks like a human version of Skeletor. That's how I like to think
0: of him. He's, he's got like no eyebrows and sunken eyes yeah. mm-hmm. Like his eyes adjusted for the lack of eyebrows By just sinking in He's got one of those faces where it's like I don't know what you would look like with hair That's how prominent
4: your
1: bald head is <laughs> What if that's like what he's really jealous of <laughs> Like he's like got like fucking four billion dollars right, right, But he'll always envy that we just have full heads of hair <laughs> luscious hair none of your fucking cayman islands accounts can buy back Uh what we have
4: he doesn't get prostitutes he just gets makeup artists to like build various wigs
0: for his sex parties standing up he looks like a human bowling pin
1: (laughs) so um uh yeah as we mentioned those red bow ties aren't helping i'm sorry (laughs) He was born in, uh, in California to his dad was an accountant, mm-hmm. so upper middle class family. From the age of 10, Michael Milken would help uh, with the books, you know, so he learned accounting from a very early age. Clearly a smart individual. I mean, he engaged in, in his, incredibly...
0: His, his dad made some uh, money on the side as one of those uh, reflective spherical lawn ornaments. In
4: one of the interviews I saw, he said that since his dad was an accountant, oh. he'd been accounting since he was eight years old. Helping with the taxes and stuff That's
1: hey. child abuse Yes He he lied about it And it was actually from 10 years old So he like deducted the extra two years To fuck with the IRS <laughs> <laughs> Yeah I've been doing an accounting fraud Since I was 11 years old <laughs> I mean 10 Ugh. Um, but yeah, so he according to the Dennis book, he helps his dad with the accounting from age ten onwards. He learns a lot about accounting and these kinds of stuff. And again, it's very complicated uh, criminal scheme that he pulls off that certainly requires some intelligence, and it requires intelligence to mostly get away with it and still be a billionaire. Um but so he goes to, to high school there, he marries his high school sweetheart. He's on he's I believe the head cheerleader in high school. Yep. Um and uh it's uh, Birmingham High School. Uh, and then he goes to University of California, Berkeley. UCB. Yep. He graduates Phi Beta Kappa 1968.
4: With his best friend Aaron Glazer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. So he graduates. Uh, he gets an MBA from the Wharton School of, uh, of Business at University of Pennsylvania. And from the Wharton School through one of his teachers, he lands a summer job. at. You is- like
0: You're the first dinosaur that uses its cranium as a weapon that we have (laughs) given a master's degree. Uh, He
1: he has, like, special conditions for taking the test at Wharton where he's, like, cold-blooded so he has to go out in the sun for at least an hour for for long tests. He's like... He just starts screaming in the middle of class, and then it becomes apparent that he has laid some sort of egg. <laughs> 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 oh god, that is one leathery man. I'm, oh, man. <laughs> like he started giving like fucking no work jobs to a bunch of alligators in the office. <laughs> like no, they're family. <laughs> Um, but so uh, Yes so he graduates uh, With a with an MBA from Wharton And then one of his professors at Wharton Gives him the connection to Drexel So Drexel is, is his company And he essentially like he never actually sits On the board at Drexel but eventually He's making so much money that he's de facto Running Drexel because he is The profit center for Drexel right. And at the time it was called Drexel Harriman Ripley but it was for most of his Tenure there called Drexel Burnham Lampert but again, just Drexel. But he gets the job there. nineteen 19- sixty What the kick out Ripley? <laughs> yeah, it was like some mergers going on in the sixties and seventies. You yeah, know, it doesn't tired matter. Tired of believing it or not. <laughs> <laughs> the the board called a meeting and it, by a, a five to four vote, they determined that they don't believe it. <laughs> um, but so yes, uh, uh, he's he gets this job nineteen sixty nine and. Um, It's interesting, where essentially... Uh, what I think the debate is, because again, we've, we've kind of talked about what his PR machine asserts. What mm-hmm. his PR machine asserts is that he was the guy who discovered this market in junk bonds. He realized that junk bonds were undervalued and, and this, this kind of stuff, and created all this, this liquidity and all this wealth, and then the government came in because of one minor slip-up that everybody does, and, you know, cracked down on him to set a message. And um, what I think is debatable is that essentially, when uh, in the early 70s again he starts here in 1969 excuse me in the early 70s maybe that's uh persuasive and uh I, and i'm not even endorsing that i don't entirely know one way or the other but here's what i will say essentially from his time at wharton he reads uh, some papers by a couple different economists uh, academic professors and what they say is this about uh, so-called junk bonds and I guess I should just start from the beginning Is that uh, at the time there were two ratings agencies Called Moody's and Standard and & Poor's And they would issue ratings You know, say AAA, A, AA, whatever They said it, spending too much
0: time with these uh, Products can cause Serious hair loss <laughs>
1: <laughs> But But so basically anything that is not rated by these two agencies, that's a bond, you know, uh, for a company that is not rated is called, quote, junk bond or a high yield bond, and they have to pay a higher yield and interest to get people to buy it. So Milken, one of his professors, writes a couple different academic papers showing that after you account for the default rate and after you account for the higher interest payments, these so-called junk bonds are actually undervalued or they're actually returning more than traditional investments. If you look at like a portfolio from, say, 1945 to 1965. And by so-called junk bonds, you mean junk bonds. (laughs) Yes. Uh so essentially what Michael Milken does at Drexel is he becomes an expert in these junk bonds like most of the major firms wouldn't really touch them in the early 70s uh, and then most of the firms would like not really have serious research departments devoted to, to the companies that were issuing these junk bonds. So Michael Milken becomes like a one-man research department for companies involved in junk bonds. He would you know bring binders full of junk bond of information on the companies offering these junk bonds. He would bring these huge binders back and forth from the office you know and like make you know these, these pitches and talk about again the academic papers we just mentioned saying right, that like, this oh, is,
0: wait this. Romney's like, all right, our new hire, junk bonds. And then Milken comes in and he's like, what? I, I ended up with a binder full of women. I think
1: Romney not mixed up. Romney kicks him out because he thinks the bonds have sugar and caffeine. And like <laughs> Um but so yes so he's he's doing all this heavy research and the in the companies involved in in junk bonds and uh what what Milken says at this time is the only problem with the market is there's no liquidity again these like big you know firms won't really touch these they won't really buy in so what happens is by 1973 he persuade, Milken persuades his boss at Drexel to let As him someone who is technically an amphibian he <laughs> needs some liquidity <laughs> 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 uh, by 1973, uh, uh, Michael Milken persuades his boss at Drexel to let him set up a, quote, high-yield bond department. Again, junk bonds. High-yield bond, junk bond. It's the euphemism. Uh, so they set up a high-yield uh, bonds department. Uh, he's given $2 million in capital to, to start up. And pretty soon, Milken is generating almost you know, 100% rates of return. Like, he's making a shit ton of money on these junk bonds by, you know, selling them to, like, non-traditional clients and, you know, like, not uh, insurance companies in particular. And, you know, he's, he's a good salesman and he, he makes some money. And what happens is, like, eventually he gets, like, by 76, he's got an incredible bonus structure where, again, from the, the Den of Thieves book, uh, him and uh, the the employees working under him in his department get thirty five percent of all Drexel profits attributed to their activities, plus another fifteen to thirty percent finder's fee for clients they bring to Drexel. So he's getting like six, uh, upwards of six, up to sixty five percent of all of the profits from his deal just for kicking Drexel like thirty or thirty five percent. Really? So even in like nineteen seventy six, he's making like five million dollars a year. Nineteen seventy six dollars. Um, and, uh, what they say in the Den Thieves book is that by 1977, his operation controls 25% of the market in junk bonds. Hmm. So the turn essentially happens here in 77, 78. And again, I think it's debatable whether or not he really did anything that, uh, I mean, you know, financial capitalism, you could have an entire debate about it, but within the rules of the game of financial capitalism, if he did anything of value from, you know, 69 to 77, Mm -hmm. but what happens is 77, 78, he, again, controls 25% of the market. He becomes a market maker and engages in a giant illegal scheme to manipulate prices, insider trade, uh, do a Ponzi scheme, and all these other things that take it into just a giant theft of billions of dollars. And um, also
4: during this time, they use his likeness for Nosferatu.
1: <laughs> but so what happens is like he's making these huge returns for Drexel. They were trying to remake, but they had to can it because it was too scary. <laughs> his lawyers uh, argued that the government was uh, being anti-Semitic by prosecuting him because he is clearly a Joseph Goebbels caricature. <laughs> Though interestingly enough, uh, one of his lawyers, a guy named Arthur Lehman, mm-hmm. would uh, tell the prosecutors that the government was acting like Nazi Germany, and that prosecuting Milken was just uh, one step more to concentration camps. <laughs> wow. Exact quote. And it is just interesting, like, how quickly these fucking people are to invoke the goddamn Nazis yeah. every time they get caught.
0: Well, with Milken, it's more of a concentration kennel.
1: Interestingly enough, about Arthur Lehman... It just kind of shows you how our government works. He was also the um, so-called good guy in the Iran Contra hearings. Oh, he was really? the uh, the lawyer who interrogated, um, you know, the Oliver North and such on behalf of the Senate for the Iran Contra hearings, and then he went back and you know took millions of dollars to <laughs> compare Milken's prosecution to fucking Treblinka. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's jumping ahead a little bit. Basically, what happens is that Milken. His his operation is so profitable that in nineteen seventy eight he gets the uh, firm Drexel to let him move his operation to Beverly Hills, uh, California. So he leaves New York, he moves his operation to uh Beverly Hills, California. That's where he wants to be. Yeah. He wants to be in uh Beverly Hills, California. Beverly. Yes. Beverly. <laughs> and uh living in Beverly Hills.
4: Beep. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's like you know my access to the sun will be much easier to take care of <laughs> yeah. uh mm-hmm. all right all right uh but so what happens is again 78 he moves out here he sets up the so-called junk bonds department in uh in the west coast for drexel drexel still on the east coast and um what happens is, like, he's built this network of junk bond buyers, he controls a lot of the market, and he also, in this time, it, 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 you know, we have no way of knowing if he was doing it before, but for sure he starts, by the late 70s, early 80s, a massive insider trading conspiracy, where Milken would, you know say Drexel's investment banking side would be working with a client. Well, Milken would start trading on that inside information or he or his other contacts would have contacts with other investment bankers and they would start trading on the inside information. And like another remarkable thing about Den of Thieves is that it just kind of goes through how endemic insider trading was in the 1980s. And you have to believe it still is. But like just as one example, the largest a single profit on a deal at Goldman Sachs in 1984 was on an illegal insider trade. And that guy, a guy named Freeman, would go to jail for, I think, four months. But essentially, like, there was just a huge network of which Michael Milken was part of. Uh, A guy named Yvonne Boski would eventually go rat on Milken, but he was also part of this. And so they were all just, like, kind of passing information back and forth. And eventually they were engaging in these leverage buyouts. You know, um, well, I might be jumping ahead a little bit here. But we've kind of talked about, we did an episode on private equity or leverage buyouts. There was this big boom in leverage buyouts in the 1980s and much of that was funded with Michael Milken's junk bonds. Mm-hmm. Because he had this network of junk bonds, he could raise so much money overnight and because he also had all these captive clients, who he, as we mentioned earlier, would say, "Hey, you, I put you in business. Please buy some of my junk bonds now." Right. If he said, "We're buying junk bonds," he could get you know hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars raised overnight. So he started funding all these leveraged buyouts, like uh, you know KKR and stuff. Would um, buy public companies in hostile takeovers, taking up a ton of debt and raising money with Milken. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is Milken would know that was going on, so he would start insider trading on it, or he would get uh, his connections with the corporate raider world to be like, "Hey, put pressure on this stock because I have a position here," mm-hmm. you know, or make it look like you're going to do a raid on them, or, or et cetera, et cetera. Right. So he started a lot of. There were a lot of crimes going on all at once. Is what I'm trying to get at here. A multi-criminal mastermind, mm. and um, the other thing is like, so he he moves out to uh, Beverly Hills, and uh, they they have a workaholic culture over there. Like Milken's a fucking psychopath, right? Uh, like, so one of his traders, uh, again from the Den of Thieves book, um, one of his traders finds out his mother has cancer. He's leaving the office, and Michael Milken's first question is to him. Uh, is, where are you going? He says, my mother has cancer. I want to spend some time with her. And Milken's first question is, when are you going to be back? <laughs> uh, he says he did not express any concern or th- sympathy for his wow. traitor. And that trader would later um, come to work on time the day after his baby died stillborn uh, because, quote, that was, uh, he had learned, because, quote, he had learned that Milken expected nothing less. Ugh. And you just imagine, like, making billions for this psychopath. Right, right. I mean, like, again, you'll get thrown a few million of fucking criminal spoils. But, like, it's, it's kind of amazing how much he was ripping off his own employees in addition to everybody else. Well, they're heartless.
4: I mean, if there's something we've learned about these billionaires is that uh, they think that if you're not working constantly that you are an idiot. And that if you have any emotion for anything that's not profit, you're an idiot.
1: hmm yeah so like uh milken uh would only leave his, he was a workaholic like he didn't really know anything outside of work he, he would only leave his desk during work hours once a year typically uh once a year he would get anniversary lunch with his wife oh my God. other than that he was at his desk the entire time which is of course what we should all strive to when we're doing a, a giant criminal conspiracy uh and, and so the other thing is that um Uh, to move to Beverly Hills because most of Milken's employees were in New York. So they had to go out into California, get houses. Right. So Milken like generously uh, lent them all money to buy houses. But then uh, one day his brother Lowell, who we mentioned as like the hatchet man, just kind of showed up to all these people, gave them invoices for the loans plus interest and demanded immediate repayment.
4: (laughs) What fucking snakes. Yeah.
1: And like, we'll get to, they kind of even rip people off more, but it's just, I mean, it's remarkable. And these like early years, like uh, James B. Stewart in the book, he writes about there were a lot of affairs, a lot of like nonsense going on. There's also a story about a stripper if we want to do that. Oh, yes. Um, But so. (laughs) Andy, you're getting so hard. I'm looking at pictures of reptiles. (laughs) 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 What should my next metaphor be? (laughs) I
4: tried reading the name of that dinosaur that's bald. It's very difficult. Yeah it's like p h o t e
1: x damn you could if do you could have nailed the reference i couldn't
0: do it i'm i'm going through his personal photo album on uh-huh. his website and for uh, and all like his pictures and for whatever reason there aren't any from 1991 92 hmm. <laughs> but there is one uh, teaching inner city youth math skills um, it says mike has been teaching inner city youth math skills for more than 15 years uh, i guess Part of the skills were how to avoid Andy, venomous Find credit. the drop. Okay.
1: Math skills like, uh, so kids, when this little old lady asks, you just lie to her and tell her it's insured by the federal government, okay?
0: Or like, if you've swallowed whole five eggs from an endangered bird <laughs> and there are nine eggs in the nest, how many more eggs do you have to swallow before its mother comes back? The traders and salesmen who worked in his office decided to celebrate his birthday by hiring a stripper to come into the office. And um, the stripper was doing her act when the phone rang for Milken. It was a client wanting to execute a junk bond trade. Milken took the call, and then when he, he was distracted by the stripper, he actually crawled under his trading desk. And the stripper, who by now had taken all of her clothes off, crawled under the desk after him, and he still managed to stay on the phone and complete the trade, even with this pandemonium going. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so yes Oh yeah, and the other part That was James B. Stewart The author of the book He says Milken was compulsive And workaholic Yeah
0: what, what was he hiding Like was she just like Giving him a hand job, And he's like Well I can't tell her to stop But I have to get away from it While I'm
1: doing my trade <laughs> He was fleeing from her Because she was dressed As an FBI agent <laughs> <laughs> Um, but so, you know, and, and again, like even at this early time in the, uh, early 78, they move over there according to the book, like securities dealers guidelines at the time permitted only a 5% markup, but because Milken was controlling so much of this mark, uh, this market for junk bonds, he was able to be a market maker, meaning he would buy the bonds and he would sell the bonds so he could set the price. He was one of the few people you could sell junk bonds to. So he was doing, instead of this recommended 5% markup, he was doing, he was doing a 25 percent percent markup and then his head trader wouldn't sign off on this because it was like unethical against you know uh, uh guidelines i'm not sure if it was straight up illegal so uh, milken would would forge his head trader's signature oh, to really? sign off on these huge markups and this is like right after he started so he was already you know uh corrupt deeply to on the it. bone exactly corrupt on it. He rationalized bone.
0: it by going like well i've got plenty of heads so i can
1: <laughs> i can stick
0: some neck out yeah
1: <laughs> but so um by uh, 1983, he's talking to this guy, Yvonne Boski, uh, two or three times a day. And again, this is like a big insider trading ring that the two of them are running from at least 83 to 86, when Boski would uh, plead guilty and cooperate with the feds. Um, and we mentioned they were doing what was called the Predator's Ball. There was another book written about this, but basically the junk bond people and the leverage buyout people would have this annual conference in California where prostitutes would be at the after party, but mainly it was a place for their industry to get together and like, you know, network and like work on corporate raids and trade on inside information and Jerk all this each stuff. Other off. Yeah, all this stuff. You know, Carl Icon would come there. Steve Wynn, the casino rapist, was a guy who got his fucking startup capital from Milken and you know, future episode we'll mention, but he would come there and and get all his these ass other eat. All these other people. and um, The
0: prostitutes weren't actually there for sex. They were them there to turn them on their backs so they get hypnotized mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then yeah. rub their belly. That's
1: right. Um, but so uh, Milken is de facto making so much money, again, through a Ponzi scheme, for Drexel that according to the book he is running Drexel by 1984. Again he's not sitting on the board he's not a CEO but the actual CEO of Drexel has to like run everything through Milken. Milken's making so much money has so many loyalists he can't cross uh, Milken so Milken is de facto in charge of Drexel. And so what's happening like with Ivan Boski we don't have time to get through all the crimes because it is just a huge list of of crimes but learn more at your local library or on our (laughs) Tumblr so what happens with Ivan Boski is like um, he would file what are called 13 D's he would lie on 13 D's uh, with the SEC (laughs) so like um, when you like buy I think it's more like a 5 or 10% stake you have to like to uh, file this public thing with the SEC that says, like, if you're working in concert with anybody, if anybody has, like, say, guaranteed you against losses, um, if you have any other, like, certain interests. And so he would, like, routinely lie on these forms on behalf of Milken. Like, Milken would direct him to say, buy something, and he would say, yeah, don't worry if you lose money. I'll take care of it. Hmm. And that's an illegal market manipulation right. because, you know, people should, in theoretically, even in the capitalist framework, you know, perfect information, buyers and sellers' arm's length. When you're fucking with that, that's why securities laws exist because anybody who buys into the market is just getting robbed in a casino. And they made a mockery of this throughout the entire uh, 1980s.
0: There's also a line on the SEC forum that was, do you smell through your tongue? And he directed his subordinate to write no.
1: And so the other thing is like, um, I believe by 85, or maybe it's just by... By 85, he's already, Michael Milken is already setting up these private partnerships, and uh, these are secret private partnerships where nobody really knows what's going on, but Milken controls them, and he was doing this to funnel hundreds of millions of dollars in these secret partnerships that were in his friends and family's names. So, like, um, just uh, just one story here, uh, so he, he helps KKR, the... Uh, 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 corporate rater firm, do a leverage buyout of a company called Beatrice. And uh, Beatrice, uh, and so in exchange, KKR gives him the right to warrants, which is the right to buy the stock at a low price before it goes up, mm-hmm. to warrants for $650 million of Beatrice stock. And the idea is that he can give this to people to get them to buy the junk bonds. Really? But Milken has all these captive clients, so he can just sell the junk bonds to any of them. Right, right. So what he does is he keeps the six hundred and fifty million and squirrels it into this private partnerships that are in his friends and family's name and just hides it from people and doesn't even tell his employees. Because of course his employees are doing, you know, all the work on this yeah. and he gives them like, you know, a million out of this six hundred and fifty million that he keeps just for himself on this one deal. Robin so, Blind. Yeah, and he paid himself, on that same year, he paid himself $550 million. So he made $1.1 billion in 1986. Wow. At least. And, um you know and also there was a ton of insider trading on this on this deal so he has like i believe they they discovered more than 40 partnership accounts that were in the name of milken's wife and kids and again this is all just illegal money being sounds like a man who loves his family (laughs) Illegal money being funneled out and stolen even from his fucking employees and then just like one other thing about this is he hires his brother-in-law a dentist for a no work job uh, where his brother-in-law at the firm would be observed uh, leaving for lunch and taking a several hour nap <laughs> in his in his car every day for which he was paid two point five million dollars oh oh a my year. God,
4: <laughs> Man, uh, imagine being paid to nap.
1: Yeah, but imagine
0: hiring a dentist and getting all the free nitrous you want. What? It would be worth it.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And then, like, uh, we've kind of mentioned, uh, again, these captive uh, savings and loans, Columbia Savings, uh, Lincoln Savings. Um, They would also do uh, these parking arrangements where, in addition to, like, doing this to do tax fraud to make it look like they were doing um, uh, tax that they were losing money so they could write this off, they would also do this to, like, avoid net capital requirements and all these other stuff to, like, disguise true ownership of assets. And, um, oh, and then, like, the one other thing from this period I found fascinating is that While he's making billions of dollars I believe James Stewart puts his net worth At about three billion dollars in 1986 He was one of the ten richest men in America Uh, While he was doing this He still argues for like Several months With his boss Over fifteen thousand dollars worth of bonus money That he feels he is entitled to Wow So he's a compulsive psychopath Is what I'm saying Again fifteen thousand dollars When you're making over a billion (laughs) dollars in a year Um, but basically what happens and, you know, it's, it's weird where compared to what has happened with white collar crime enforcement, this feels like true justice because Milken would go to jail, but you know, even then it's, it's not really true justice. So the, the basic story is even Boski, this guy that they were in this big, um, insider trading conspiracy with, um, the federal government, uh, wraps up some smaller fish in that, who, like, implicates Ivan Bosky. Ivan Boski, for his turn, in 1986, pleads uh, guilty and then begins cooperating. He even wears a wire to one meeting with Milken. and um, Rat. The government starts coming after Milken, uh, and the only reason, well, not the only reason, but the, the big break they get is one of these captive uh, Milken clients. Uh, let me just see if I can find the name here. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was a milking firm called Princeton Newport. Mm-hmm. So what Princeton Newport does is they keep phone records of all their traders' conversations because sometimes, you know, clients have disputes. Uh, so because uh, uh, Princeton Newport has uh, has these phone records... Uh, the government raids them like they send in the FBI before they can destroy them and uh, seizes all of these phone records and they listen to the tapes. And then of course the traders are just blatantly incriminating themselves wow. all over the tapes. And then they get one of Milken's traders to turn on Milken and uh, eventually Milken pleads guilty to six felonies in 1989 and he serves, he's sentenced to 10 years. He serves two years.
4: Ben Stein talks about like he went to college, uh, At uh, Columbia, and you said that the cells that Milken went to were nicer than the dorm rooms at Columbia. You have a picture in your book. It looks like a dorm room. I went to Columbia College in New York, and I must say it's a heck of a lot nicer room that he had there at Pleasanton than I
0: had at Columbia.
1: It's pretty fascinating where there's that, and then, oh yeah. Milken also needed like a
0: little pool, or else his skin would dry out. That's right. That's right. You can't. And a hot lamp.
1: And so, like, what happens in, like, by, I believe, 86, might have been 87, the, the walls are starting to come down on Milken, like, the government starts serving him subpoenas after uh, Ivan Boski turns rat. And so Milken like brings one of his traders into the men's room, and he turns the water faucets on all the way up, Smart move. and uh, tells him to destroy documents <laughs> that had been subpoenaed, which is of course another crime. It's obstruction right, right. of justice to destroy documents after you've been subpoenaed. Um, and then he like with David Solomon, the aforementioned Goldman Sachs CEO slash rat, what he would do with these partnerships? Because again, we mentioned they have like these parking arrangements where it's like secretly x uh this other person owns an asset but they tell the government that they don't you know in order to create phony tax losses so they had like a blue ledger book that they kept track of all this stuff and so milken has it destroyed (laughs) for this david solomon deal as soon as the government starts sending subpoenas but um it's it's pretty fascinating and then like the uh the pr firm that he really takes on in 1986 what happens is like the the Savings and loan collapse happens around, I believe, 89. Um, and so, like, these junk bonds, like, he's able to keep the Ponzi scheme going until like 88 or so. So, his PR firm st- thinks up this idea to write a like PR kiss ass book about all the companies he was able to like fund and help with his junk bonds. Right. But the funny thing is, they keep trying to write this and the companies keep collapsing. <laughs> so, like, any company that they like are trying to like talk up as like the fucking Milken success story uh, just implodes. And uh, I believe, um, uh, as we mentioned, about 55 savings and loans that were linked to Michael Milken uh, collapsed. Uh, About more than 1,000 out of more than 3,000 savings and loans in the U.S. collapsed. It was a $130 billion bailout. uh, And this was uh, heavily because of these junk bonds. He was losing companies faster than hair follicles. (laughs) Some say it couldn't be done, but he pulled it off. Oh, and then the other desperate gamble they do is uh, Michael Milken starts paying huge bonuses to every employee who's a potential witness in the case. (laughs) Like their bonuses suddenly increase like $15 million. And then he also gets them all to uh, take on lawyers that are repping him. So it's a clear conflict of interest where his lawyers would like appoint the lawyers for whatever witness. So of course the lawyer would be like, yeah, you got to fight the subpoena. Right, right. You can't implicate Milken. (laughs) You should expose yourself to serious legal danger.
0: So so essentially, what he did was Tony Soprano's divorce strategy. Oh yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so yeah, I mean that's that's basically the story of Michael Milken. You know, now he's like it, he's on a, uh, a a redemption tour. Oh, right, he wants dead
4: to redemption tour.
1: He's already like accepted back by the establishment. Of course, his like. Every profile of him starts with his bullshit prostate cancer research, which you know, out of like the five six billion you stole, you threw some crumbs to medical research mm-hmm. that should have just been public money in the first place. Right. But uh, you know, so now he wants to get this pardon to get the uh, the criminal record completely expunged, so he can go back to trading in securities. And um, you know, we will see if he's successful. But it is just something where it's it's fascinating how much work you have to do to find out that this complete criminal and fraud is a criminal and fraud because he's spent uh, one of the most sophisticated PR machines of modern times has spent decades rehabilitating and whitewashing his image uh every second of every day it's and- like he sheds his skin on a regular basis oh <laughs> 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 uh, god and uh and yeah and i guess just to kind of wrap this up um Uh, According to the James B. Stewart, author of Den of Thieves, junk bonds actually, uh, including defaults, returned lower than U.S. Treasuries from 1980 to 1990. Wow. (laughs) So if you invested in his products, you got taken for a ride. I think, like, uh, Drexel junk bonds defaulted from 24 to 35% of the time.
0: So it's like he had this elaborate charade to cover up something that wasn't actually there. (laughs) Somewhat like a tail that could regrow. (laughs)
1: Anyway, enough about his wig. Uh, So he's sentenced to 10 years in 1990. He serves two years. He pays $1.1 billion, $600 million criminal, $500 million civil. And and then he's uh, free. And he turned his uh, predator's ball into the fucking Davos of the West. And uh, now many of his defenders, such as Chuck Schumer, uh, have been disgraced and are not in positions of power within our government (laughs) or influence. Of uh, any kind, and uh, you know, hopefully. Wait. So, what did Chuck Schumer do? He actually wasn't a significant part of the story. I just found he was a congressman in New York who said that the SEC was being overly aggressive and like harassing oh, this like decent businessman. <laughs> yeah,
4: and he was also at that Davos of the West thing.
0: Did he uh, feed chickens to Milken? Mm-hmm. Yeah, chickens and
4: flies. <laughs>
1: Yeah, what did Chuck Schumer do? He was like, you know, I, I can't see the bald spot at all, Mike. I think uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think uh, your
4: hair follicles look beautiful. So, a part of uh, Gordon Gecko, uh, obviously, likeness for Nosferatu, and uh, his uh, movements were used for the movie Rango. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, um, I guess that about sums it up. But you know what? Hey, credit on Ben Stein for writing the fucking most vicious yeah. milk yeah. and takedown book, and uh, you know, Bueller. We hope uh, he catch he Bueller. finds out where Ferris Bueller is,
4: <laughs> and if he wants to come on the show, come on, Ben Stein, be on Grubstakers. Yeah, mm.
1: we hope. Maybe
0: you can win our money.
1: <laughs> Bueller. We hope uh, Ben Stein is not accosted Bueller. in a restaurant by anti fuff thugs <laughs> who say you're a bad man. And the premise of your show was far too little money given out in prizes for a man who is supposedly worth 20 million.
0: <laughs> Vinstein, come on our show and tell the truth about global warming. And with that, this has been Grubstakers. Uh, my name is Yogi Polywall. I'm Andy
1: Palmer. I'm Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening.
4: By the way, we haven't been properly introduced Melina. Really. My name is Bond. James Bond. Mr. Michael Milken certainly milked the system to win his yeah, billions. milk that Milken. 600 million dollars. Milk that Milken real good. Milk that gherk.
3: Milk that sucker to dick.
1: So big news last night. Mitch yeah. McConnell was at a restaurant in Kentucky. He was accosted by protesters. They took his food, threw it out. Any opinion on that?
2: Disgusting mob rule. Antifa uh, is becoming like the brown shirts in the early days of the Nazi party very very disgusting shocking behavior. This, Stunningly but horrible. But
1: you can also say that this is non-violent protest.
2: No, I, I consider it this, violent. To go to somebody who always having his meal and take his meal away from him and throw it away. I consider that as close to violence as I want to get.
4: You don't
1: see this as maybe democracy in no, action? absolutely that not. Holding democracy, our no, no, elected no, no, officials No, no, no. no, no. Democracy in
2: action is voting. It's not violence, it's not taking people's food away from them and throwing it away. These people are gangsters, they are mob gangsters, they're not decent people.